Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. Want to flag two quick things at the top. Firstly, when recording this, there were a few microphone issues, which I've tried to correct as best as possible. But if you hear the audio being a bit strange, uh, that's the reason. And secondly, a bookish comedy show is on at Melbourne Comedy Festival, so I'm just going to do another cheeky plug. It's running March 29 to April 10, uh, 6.30 weekdays and 5.30 on weekends at Storyville. You can buy tickets online and it will be great to see you there. Now, on to the show. <clears throat> You're listening to the Sands Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, adventures and ghosts. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George DeMorellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show, we have comedian Ellie Landers. How are you doing, Ellie? Very well. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on the show. We were just talking before the show started that your name spelled E-L-I and I was saying, shouldn't that be Eli? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, this is the Hebrew way of saying it, which I thought they would have already done. But no, turns out for everyone listening, it's pronounced Ellie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had to navigate this a lot. So I'm at the point now where someone could call me Eli and I just say, yes, that's my name. So I'm beyond correcting, but I appreciate you clarifying. That's all right. It's a fun fact. I thought it was Eli. Like that's, I thought we were pronouncing it the way that the Hebrew people wanted us to pronounce it. <laughs> yes. You do as you're told. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Jewish both sides? Yeah, yeah. All right. Not religious, but like culturally Jewish. Okay. Yeah. So you eat pork, but you know, you eat dinner on Fridays. Yeah, so I'll eat pork, I'll feel shame for it, but I still eat it. And then on Friday nights we have the Sabbath. And then sometimes I don't, and then I feel shame for it. So that's how it works. Wait, no, is Friday night the Sabbath or is Friday night? What's the thing called? The Sabbath, Sabbath starts on Friday night and it ends on Saturday night. So sometimes people consider it Saturday, but it starts on Friday night and that's when we have our dinner. What's the dinner called? Shabbat. That's right. But that's just the Hebrew term for Sabbath. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Shabbat, yeah. I think. Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you are officially the authority on no. Hebrew culture right now. So I've got to be honest, I will be using this. <laughs> I had a very expensive private school Jewish education and I just didn't absorb much. So, yeah, again, yeah. did the Jewish school, but I feel shame about it. So, okay. Yeah. Also, I guess appropriate probably for a lot of secular Jewish Part people. Part of the education, yeah. I always find this because I feel it's very unique, the Jewish school thing that exists here and in certain countries, but maybe it does exist for other cultures. I'm not aware of it, where it's like just very much just Jewish students there and it teaches Jewish education, right? Of history and stuff like that. I would say it's the same as if you went to a Christian private school, except that pretty much all the kids are Jewish. 
And so it's like much more of a community. It's much more specific to certain areas because we live closer together. So it's not as dispersed. We like to which keep is ourselves. Yeah, it's my <laughs> diplomatic way of saying it. But yeah, it's, we don't like all these other people. Going, yeah. We've had bad experiences in the past. <laughs> but yeah, so I think you can be secular, you can be uh, just a cultural Jew, and then you have this sort of religious stuff in the atmosphere, or you can totally engage with it, and then you can become religious. I really rate, to be honest, the Jewish, the way they've actually managed to, and I think it's a result of probably having no country for so many thousands of years, developing all these traditions which you don't have to be religious to follow because like almost every other culture's ancient traditions, like I always think of Greek with this, it's all very, very intertwined with the church. Yeah. So it does make it less suited, especially to modern times. Yeah. It seems like Jewish people have done really well in like separating church and state in that sense, even though... It is such a big part of the community, but you can be secular and still do all of the holidays. And yeah, it's like... it's No, it's a wonderful thing. And it means that I can have these relationships to rituals, to family events, to foods, it not have any sort of spiritual or religious implication, which I think is helpful. Yeah, or at least, yeah, there's no need, there's no push in that. Yeah, exactly. All right, then. Good on you. Good on you, Jews. <laughs> and podcast over. L'chaim. <laughs> I need to learn some. Can yeah, you speak yeah. Hebrew? A little bit. All right. Yeah. Have you been to Israel? Yeah, I have, yeah. Is it like the six-month thing? Is it like a whole exchange thing that happens? When I finished school, I did a year program. Oh, damn. And so you go on um, you go on a kibbutz, which is like an agrarian commune almost, and then you spend some time in the city and you do some social work there, and then you travel around a bit. So you get a bit of all different facets of Israeli life. Mm-hmm. What'd yeah. you think? Well, I was 18 and I was trying to have sex with women the whole time. <laughs> And I wasn't, so like it was kind of complicated. <laughs> so, so it sucks. Israel sucks. No, I just wasn't like. Um, Love that's the most I wasn't subjective reason <laughs> to no, hate a country. No, I'm ashamed if that's what I was trying to do there. But yeah, I don't think I was emotionally mature enough to have a cultural experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with, even with all of its complicated current geopolitical stuff, I'd say yeah. there's still obviously a lot of good stuff to take from it as well. I suppose. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I'm guessing that stuff doesn't get mentioned too much. No, no, my... From a neutral point of view. My sexual career is it on Al Jazeera or anything like that, which is positive. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on the show. Look, we'll say the book and we'll jump around from there. So I'm surprised no one's done this book yet, to be honest. So your book of choice for today is... It's The Secret History by Donna Tart. And a fantastic, fantastic book. And just, it's vibe central, that book. I think that's... Vibes is an overused word and I'm going to keep using it. really started with the castle, then it had like a drop for a long time and then it just came back recently. Well, that's interesting because when I hear someone say the word vibe, I don't think of the castle. I think of like trendy people saying it in like a sort of slow droning way. Yeah. So it's it's a nice vibe. Yeah. So for a quick summary of the book, essentially it all takes place on a university campus in, I want to say Connecticut? Yeah, possibly. Okay, I should have checked that. (laughs) I should should know that. Yeah, like as in that kind of vibe. And it's just essentially about some ancient students who study ancient languages. Well, the students aren't ancient. They're like young students, but they learn ancient topics. Uh, I feel like you've just insulted my entire audience with that, with that clarification. No, but it's just a different story. So. <laughs> Are they thousands of years old? What book is this? But yes, and then uh, there's a murder in the happened to one of the students by the others, and then you're kind of finding out what kind of happened to cause that. Yeah, which is the whole lead up of the first half, and then the second half of the book is kind of the fallout from that. So you kind of that's how it's structured. Yeah, we can spoil as well. Spoiler for anyone listening. Not that if we if you want. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. So to start off with, why is it your favorite? 
I think I have an idea of why I like that book and her writing, but I honestly think most of all, it's just, I read it when I was 21. I read it when I was traveling, which I think is a very different way to read a book. I think you experience books very differently when you're traveling. But God, when I read this book, I was just like, I was getting so much pussy, man. (laughs) (laughs) I was in in Israel and I was just swimming in puss and then I was reading on the side. No, I I was totally immersed by the book and I very rarely have that kind of experience with anything where, because I think I'm quite anxious and I think I'm not very able to be present. But when I read this book, it was just completely compelling and I was just completely in it. I wanted to keep reading it. I, I didn't want to put it down. And yeah, I very rarely have that experience to that degree with anything. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's a very engaging book all the way through. And so a couple of questions I want to ask already. So when you say uh, reading on a holiday is different to reading at home, what do you mean by that? Well, I think perhaps, and this might be a crude way to put it, but I think you're just, you're more available to read a book. So when you're at home, I think you're more stressed. You're a lot more emotional. You're focusing on other things. But when you're traveling, I think there's so much of your mind's available. So when you read something, you can really immerse yourself in it. I think maybe it's different for people. Um, Maybe it's different if you're on Contiki tour versus if you're like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what other sort of trips people take. (laughs) You are painting such a (laughs) horrible picture of yourself. (laughs) No, no, no. no. But um, I think there's that. And I think you, I don't know, like I remember I was reading this book, I was in Spain for a period and then another place, but you're in an atmosphere where you're around a lot of beauty, you know, you're seeing a lot of museums and things like that, a lot of architecture. So then when you're reading the book, I think you're more open to things like that. So you're in an atmosphere of beauty, you're reading beauty. So I think stuff like that makes it more compelling. Mm. Yeah, I I think that makes perfect sense. It amazes me sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I'm on holiday, sometimes I just smash through books just yeah. just like you know you, in a week you do like four or five books it's because it's chilling by the beach and just go through it real quick so sometimes yeah it was more when i was younger actually now less so when i was younger I would, especially when it was a family holiday yeah. yeah i'd go through so many it's just because yeah. nothing else you're like oh, i'll just sit here and do that but yeah i know what you mean about the mood being more mentally open to yeah. be able to engage with it and, and you've actually said another thing now i want to talk about the writing as well but firstly because it is probably something i should have mentioned in the plot this book, in terms of vibe, it's also like in terms of the ancient studies, in terms of Greek, mainly Greek uh, history yeah. and the language, it does very much lean into the whole cultural element of that and really plays up. It mentions art and like architecture and everything to do with all these classics style uh, learning. So you're saying how you were more engaged with that because you're on holiday. Yeah. Was that something like you wanted to be more engaged with or it just kind of like happened? You just happened to be around some museums. You're like, oh, cool. And you're reading a book. And you're like, oh, cool. No, it was, look, I think it's coincidence, but I think also there is a connection because you maybe put the book down because it doesn't connect with it. I didn't mean to pick up this book. It was actually given to me by an ex-girlfriend. So it was like kind of a complicated situation. I didn't choose the book, but it just happened. There was that coincidence. You know, you got these sort of ancient art and stuff in the book and it's also around me. I think it's just a nice coincidence. Mm. Can I ask you though, because you were talking about how your background is Greek, Mm -hmm. when you read a book or something and people talk about the Greeks, Greek mythology and all that stuff, do you feel like it's a celebration of your culture or do you feel like it's a bit of a fetishization? You know, Greek orgies, Greek philosophy, like you're somehow this country of, 
don't know, out of like the Hercules film or something like that. Like, does it feel weird to you? Mate, let me tell you right now, <laughs> fucking love it. Every <laughs> second of it. You've mentioned Greek anywhere yeah. and I am 100% behind it, basically, especially when it's in such a positive light. Like yeah. I was always going to love this book because of how much it does fetishize. <laughs> Greek fetishize culture. away. Yeah, oh, please. As long as you're talking about me. <laughs> no, no fetish is bad for your fetish in my books. No, yeah, because it's like even the Bacchanal, which is, again, another thing in the book, which is yeah. the uh, whole idea of this <laughs> orgiastic release of tension and stuff. It's a fascinating idea. And so I think you're right into, and probably you've actually made me rethink that maybe I should take a long, hard look at myself <laughs> no, no, no. and how much I enjoy that because it is kind of rare as well because Greek culture whilst being a huge part of obviously Western society um, in terms of in fiction, if it's not like getting referenced in like Troy, yeah. you're not getting shout outs as much as you'd like. For you, it's funny enough being Jewish descent, yeah. Your life is just exclusively references to Jewish culture and stuff just because of Hollywood's very deep ties to the country. Yeah, yeah. So what do you feel like when you see that? Oh, I think I'm, I have a probably a different relationship to it. Sometimes I feel like there's a celebratory element and other times I feel like I get a bit guarded and a bit paranoid. It might mean something else. But whether or not that's actually happening, I'm not sure. But sometimes I feel like, yeah, I actually do find it quite challenging. Sometimes I think... People like the Jews. Sometimes I feel like they're fetishizing us. Sometimes I think they're actually denigrating us. But to be honest with you, it's such a loaded topic for me that I'm, I have trouble discerning what's actually happening. Really? Yeah. Like, I was interested in terms of how to take this, because you're probably trying to see it on like six different levels. Because you're like, even if they meant well, how are they taking it over there? And yeah. how is it being appreciated? Or is it mainly just what was the intention of this? Okay, so I'll give you an example. I do a comedy gig at a show where that one person does a number where it's, I think it's from a Monty Python film or a Mel Brooks film, whom are obviously Jewish and that feels quite helpful. And there's a show about you can't have a production unless you have a Jew. And the whole number goes off. It's like you can have dress-ups, you can have wall dressings, you can have lights, but if you don't have a Jew, it's going to be a flop, which is a very funny um, song and I quite like it. But when the person sings it who's not Jewish and then brings me on as the Jew afterwards... I'm not sure what they mean by it and I'm not sure how to react. And I just kind of get befuddled and I'm like, I don't know. Like I, it leaves me in a position where I feel lots of different things. Yeah. And it's quite exposing in that way. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess, I mean, in summary, that's just racism in terms of like, you're just getting reduced down to a single feature of yourself and it can feel a bit weird because you're like, oh, I'm so much more than this and I'm getting used as this token here. Yeah. Like that's the reason I would find that sometimes because that can be a feeling, but you're actually worried about it being like mean possibly as in being in a... I just don't know. I think you can reduce a person down into a stereotype and it's not a hateful thing and it's a celebratory mm -hmm. thing. I can say that. I think it's just because it's emotional for me that I don't actually know what's happening and there is some concern that it's meant in a mean way or a denigrating way. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's complicated, obviously, from your background because of its, its current standing in the world. It's a very complex situation over there. Well, we never have a very secure standing in the world. So <laughs> there's never a good time. <laughs> Well, you're doing pretty good. I gotta thank say, you, you're you. doing right now. You're pretty, yeah. you're pretty great. I gotta say, like, thank you, thank you, <laughs> leading the world in a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. politically, maybe not the most ideal situation over there. Though. No, no. But it, it is very interesting, at least with the Greek thing, is that I find it very interesting that there's almost two stereotypical relationships to Greek people, and especially in Australia, there's the Herculean sort of stuff where you're all muscle bound and having orgies in Olympus and stuff, or like studying philosophy. And then there's the wog boy and like what it is to live in urban Greek cultures in Melbourne and stuff like that. And to me, I think they're quite different. 
So wildly different. Yeah, right. That's yeah. <laughs> an old one-liner joke. It's like, I used to have the body of a Greek god, now I have the body of a Greek. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, you've no, got a good body. Oh, stop it. Yeah, yeah, your listeners can't see, but your top's off. And you got to, yeah. Well, it's hot. Okay, you're making me sound like I'm self-involved. <laughs> it's no, a it's level just... of other we're just very comfortable with each other, bro. Yeah, I know, I meant his intimacy, not as, yeah, showing off. <laughs> uh, it is hot, actually. I'm going to... I can take my top off. <laughs> I love that no one probably could hear what I just said. <laughs> They're just going to hear you. A period of silence, then you say, I could take my top off. <laughs> but as, as someone who doesn't actually get to engage with the culture, doesn't get shouted out that much, funny enough, I'm at the point where I'm like, hey, you know, it's the same with being Australian. Yeah. Well, we're not on the global stage that much in terms of other cultures. We do are okay. Like a punch up overweight in a lot of ways, but it's still not a big feature. So anything happens, it's like Australia-based. Like if I open BBC News, and that's like obviously English... So there's a much stronger connection. Yeah. But if there's a shout out to the Australian, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, right. Do you get it with Greek people? Like if a Greek team wins the kayaking in the Olympics, are you like, yes, go oh, the Greeks. You better believe it, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a bit I'm actually developing right now about how dumb it is. <laughs> like, but I genuinely feel it, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. it, even like stuff like Aristotle or something, there's yeah. a part of me that's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> go the Greeks. It's so dumb, but like it's there. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. We're animals. Which... Uh, Ties us back to the book in a weird way. <laughs> That's my segue. Yeah. Because, yes, there's the Bacchanal gone wrong element, uh, but there's also this focus on, like, art and uh, culture in that sense. And is that something that you are actively interested in? Is that something you like? I don't have an academic relationship to it, but I enjoy art. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah, because, like, I mean, yes, it's got the Greek stuff going on, but it's also got that, uh, like, I guess, university thing, yeah. that fetishization yeah. Like I'd almost say it's a fetishization of that yes, as much yeah. as anything. Yeah, it's very much giving you that impression of those like bluestone buildings and uh, everyone comes from money except for like the one person who d- uh, didn't. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like totally leaning into that entire like subculture. So is that something that like appealed to you? That is a fetish I hold deeply, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, I think I've got this relationship to like academia and college life and it's quite disappointing doing university life here because it doesn't reflect it at all. Um, but de- I definitely hold that as something like quite romantic and it looks like the kind of place I'd like to go and just immerse myself in. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. Yeah. Which university did you go? The Deakin, <laughs> which is a fine, it's a, it's an okay university, <laughs> but there were no orgies or anything like that. Yeah. There was just sausage sizzles and there was a stationary shop and yeah, it was, di- it was different. <laughs> You really summed it up in like two brilliantly chosen examples there. <laughs> I think you can't be like, because you're a reader, as you mentioned before starting yeah. the show. I think if you can't have an appreciation of the academia and writing and stuff and not have a slight fetishization of that stuff. Yes. Like the Oxford love. Like, yeah, because I, I remember one time I was actually overseas. I went there and I was like, oh, God, imagine studying here. Apart from the fact you'd run into 500 tourists every yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're just like. So, I mean, you went to, did you go to university? Yeah, I went to the Trobe. The trope. And did you study literature or anything no, like no. that? No, I didn't study that. Did you like business? business? Yeah, business stuff. Okay. Finance. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. How about you? Literature. Literature. <laughs> yeah. You goddamn Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, but I, I do need a job and some financial support, though. Okay, well, I'll hook you up. Yeah, thank you. I won't. I'll just help, help the system rot you further. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, oh, so you studied actually literature. 
Yeah, I did for a bit. I don't, but I actually have to correct myself because, and maybe this means something. I did art, which is that sort of like you do a variety of different useless sort of topics. Yeah, it was sort of like a soft literature. I don't have like a PhD in literature, is what I'm trying to say. Don't ask you too many intense questions about it. Yeah, just keep it like general and supportive. <laughs> no, but I, I studied literature. I did creative writing, and that's most of what I studied through uni. Yeah, in terms of the writing thing, but like also that romantic thing with like I know for me, I would love to have been like another life, been a lecturer or a tutor or something like wandering around with like the patches on the elbows. You know, gone from classes. Yeah, you you want to be the lecturer, the tutor with that kind of power. You immediately made it weird because it is weird. What do you mean? It's just because like you want to live that life, that that universal life, like from the inside. That's how you would do it, uh, being like a lecturer, tutor, about, like seducing students and like exploiting. No. Okay, I'm, I'm with you now. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant with the patches. Elbow pads, this character, the you know, the, the, the lecturer that's teaching and wandering around and like yeah. studying some arcane bit of literature whilst also teaching students and only having six people there who enjoy it. <laughs> yes, yes. Then one day it's late I, at night and you're there with one of the students. No. <laughs> I find the elbow patches sexy. That's just me. <laughs> you you meant fetishization in the sexual sense, okay? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that as well. I think I was more like I wanted them to like me. Like I wanted to be the student who was taken under the wing. I thought that would be quite cool. See, I'm not even going to go down the path of yeah. what you're saying there. What you're insinuating with the, <laughs> trying to equal it out. No, I'm not going to get down to your level with that suggestion. Um, you know, just more like a master-student relationship. Yes. Um, no, so, yeah. Have you read the book Stoner? Stoner? Yeah, by John Williams. No. Oh, I have. It's about the, the hobo life. No. Okay, I haven't read it. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a, it's about a guy who basically teaches English and he grows up on a farm and then he goes to a university and, like, that's his life basically right. is that. It's very uh, sad in a way but it's also kind of beautiful and it's probably possibly my favourite book ever. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I would highly, highly, highly recommend if you've got this appreciation of this kind of stuff. Yeah, so you, you really love that book. Yeah, they're just, just another example of that university college sort of appreciation because, like, did you, were you a huge nerd in school? Uh, I think I was more of an outsider than a nerd. So I like I wasn't very good at academics, or I didn't study a lot. But I was, yeah, definitely kind of on the fringe socially. Okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so it's like yeah, you know, I had all the social skills of a nerd, but none of the uh, <laughs> yeah, no intelligence or academic <laughs> skill. Yeah, I did like media studies. I don't know. <laughs> were you a nerd at school? Uh, I've always I've always been an avid book reader, uh, avid avid. But uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I was real cool as well, you know, just real real cool. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah, like no, you're a, you're a closet emotions. nerd. No, I'm not. Like I'm not. I'm very very out and proud about it. But I was always I was always a joker. So I, I was uh, like the year level I was in at school was actually quite lucky because there was a very close. Everyone's kind of friends with everyone, yeah. and that's, I had that's a, what people who are popular say. That's <laughs> true. Is people who had a good time and like a really good childhood are like, yeah, no, everyone was friends at school. And then like 50 people like, no, it was actually quite harsh and difficult. (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> what do you mean? I had a great time. <laughs> Everyone was so nice to me. No, it was, it was actually relatively, uh, it was definitely, yes. I was definitely part of, I would say the crowd was bigger, but yes, probably there were, de- obviously there's going to, there's going to be people who struggle and don't, uh, yeah, deserve a beating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I was a huge book nerd. I was, I was a huge book nerd, always, very proudly. I'll be, I'll be sitting in class reading uh, instead of, like, that's, I'll get in trouble for reading in class because I was reading like fantasy novels and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was not subtle about that at all, but I was always like a comedian, jokey sort of person. So I yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah navigated the world quite easily in that sense. I was a very scrawny little boy when I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was very, I know you're looking at me now. You're like, unbelievable. You look at your body now. <laughs> Just trying not to look down. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was uh, very scrawny until yeah. I was like 17, 18, because uh, then I just hit the gym and enjoyed it. But yeah. And, so. and you didn't feel like once you started hitting the gym and bulking up and becoming this Adonis that you didn't stop reading? Like did other parts of your life ever get in the way of your reading, your nerdiness? Life always does, but I don't, I don't think I've, I've, I've been reading a book of some kind forever. I don't think I've ever had a gap. The most would be like a day where I'm not reading something. Yeah. I mean, technically some books I've been reading for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll finish it one day, Ulysses. <laughs> I read the first chapter. So uh, <laughs> technically still reading. Uh, yeah. So, so for me, I had a real appreciation of literature in that sense, like a real love, but I never actually, because even literature wasn't my love of literature. It was my love of uh, fantasy. <laughs> I was a huge fantasy geek. And then funnily enough, if you're saying that I'm, there wasn't a correlation, but essentially when I turned about 18, because I was also a late bloomer in general. So I was just underdeveloped physically because I just puberty wise, I was late compared to everyone else in my school. So I was probably at 17, 18. I was actually like, oh, I should probably start expanding out from just being a hard sci-fi fantasy geek. So that's when I started actually expanding to different genres and trying everything. So now I, I'm ridiculously broad in my, which is like not as deep as probably I could be, but I'm very broad in what I read. But is fantasy still that sort of like really tasty thing that you love? And like when you venture off of it, you're like, God, I miss fantasy though. I, because uh, I've very much slowed down over the fantasy just because of how big and long the things are. Yeah. But it's definitely, if there's one thing I can read something like that and just, I could read for eight hours straight. If it's a good fantasy novel, I can just pick it up and just not put it down at all. Yeah. Did you have stuff like that? Did you? I actually have a very similar relationship. Not in the timeline. I started reading very late in my life. When you say very late? 21. <laughs> like I'd read books. This is your first book. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't read much. As I said, I wasn't like very academic at school. I'd read things like Artemis Fowl and uh, Lemony Snicket I loved and obviously 
had books read to me, so I had some exposure. But yeah, it was only until I was like 21 where I went through a couple of relationships with girls that showed me books and things like that, which was a big turning point. And then I just started reading from there almost out of discipline. I forced myself to read because I knew it would be good for me and I knew I'd like it. And definitely for me, the big thing that I love was fantasy, more sci-fi. Sci-fi was the thing that I could just engorge. And it still is today that I love sci-fi. I love it, especially at night. I just find it like warm and soothing and I really like it. And then I'll balance it with literature or other books or other sort of genres and things like that. Right. Okay. What's your favorite sci-fi sort of stuff? I know that's, that's a hard question, but... I think my two favorites is there's a book called Seven Eves. Yep. Do you know, do you know that book? I don't know about Seven Eves. But, but you didn't uh, like it? Neil Stevenson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a story of three parts and it was a story of decreasing returns on each three parts. I thought the first third was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Although the second third was significantly weaker. And then I thought the third third, whilst fun was just like another book. It was just unrelated. I completely get that, but I kind of liked it. Like I could see why it would be jarring or for a reader, but I liked it because I've never seen a book do that before. Because And I'll finish it's a book. so funny that when you turn the page, it says how many years have passed and you're like, what? And the, I've never the, seen a time jump of that in my entire life. But the size of the time jump was like thousands of years. 5,000 years, I think. Yeah, so, 7,000 years later, I think it was. Yeah. You turn the page and you're like, what? Because it ended in a way where you could keep going and yeah, then you just turn true. the page and you go 7,000 years. Later. No, but that's true. But when I finish a book or a film, I actually want to keep going with it. And I want to know what happens to the characters. And so maybe it's a bit indulgent, but I feel like he gave that to me twice. Yeah. Which is amazing. I also thought, uh, see, because Neil Stevenson, who I love, yeah. so I, I say fantasy, but I actually probably read more sci-fi because sci-fi, there's more variety of like single bound books in sci-fi than there is in fantasy. So fantasy is like a bit more of a commitment because yes. yeah. you do like nine volumes. Yeah. But sci-fi is you can pick up one and there's a lot, although there are obviously series as well. Any of the other Stevenson stuff you like? I actually read his other stuff and I, I didn't connect with it as oh, much. Really? So I read The Diamond Age, I think it was called. I thought Diamond Age was brilliant. I just found it probably like dense and a bit ambiguous and probably not what I want at 11 o'clock at night when I just want to engorge on something a bit cartoony and a bit easier, to be honest. Yeah. It's probably not trashy enough was why I didn't like it. Yeah, like I was going to say, because Anathem is probably my favorite. Right, I haven't but, read that. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's dense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is dense, yeah. <laughs> yeah that yeah, is, because yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of fantasy-ish elements in it, but it's sort of monks in, it's a university almost, actually. Okay, enough, that's yeah. interesting. What was the other one? Embassy Town by China Melville. That's sci-fi? Have you read it? No. I don't think he writes much sci-fi. That's what I mean, because he's, he's, what's his most famous book? Oh, I thought it was this. It's the Forgotten one. City or something, maybe? Oh, no. Perdido Street Station, which I haven't read, but it's been on my list forever. Okay. Presuming that sci-fi is anything that takes place in space and has that aliens and stuff like that, those motifs. I don't know. Sci-fi is anything that's kind of futuristic based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, takes, this takes place on an alien planet with these people live on a planet alongside these non-verbal aliens and they have to learn how to communicate together and it explores how language impacts your psychology and even your physiology. Oh. I th- and I thought it was insane. Like I thought it was, I was almost going to suggest it as my book for today with you. But yeah, I was just so blown away by it. Really? Yeah. yeah. What, you wanted to look more literary by coming on here with, <laughs> with the, secret the secret history? <laughs> no, because I thought because my ex-girlfriend gave me secret history, that's like just a more interesting story. So, but <laughs> you know, try to, yeah. 
You want a bit, I feel like you want a bit of pathos, so you know. No, like we can we can find it ourselves. You don't have to force it. No, secret history is number one. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I think secret history is brilliant, but uh, yeah, no, I love a good sci-fi and fantasy. So, and it, it, they get a bad rap sometimes because of the treatment is like genre rather than high art. But I think there's plenty in there that's very, very beautiful in that sense as well. Yeah. Which actually kind of gets to relate back to secret history as well, and you having a small degree of literature in your core, in your degree, <laughs> the writing you've mentioned already, and you've mentioned again about this as well, the language and stuff. What was it about the writing with the uh, secret history? Well, it's interesting. I actually would like to bring up The Goldfinch, which was her other book. I was misleading before. I don't, will not let you speak about that. Part. I'm not allowed to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You talk about The Goldfinch. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, and I'm not sure if she wrote a book in between, but I found secret history to be well-written, but a lot smoother. Whereas the Goldfinch, I thought her writing was brilliant. And I actually think it's more interesting how she wrote in that book. The Goldfinch, I felt like she wrote, it was a similar thing. You have this sort of disillusioned young male in this really interesting plot. But the way she wrote that book was like she slowed everything down to the like the millisecond, either mentally or physically. And you just felt every breath and every thought and every moment. And it was, quite, it was a bit laborious at points, but I thought that was stunning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because like she definitely takes her time. So a setting of a mood and stuff like that, which I quite like. Yeah. But it's funny you saying that because I haven't read The Goldfinch, but I remember, you know when someone says a casual comment and it makes you completely have an entire worldview, which is not accurate? Yeah. One time early on, someone's like, oh, I love the secret history. Goldfinch sucked. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess I'll just stick to the secret history. Then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've had multiple people tell me since then, no, Goldfinch is really great. Well, I, I think secret history is much more of that I think it's a bit more of an indulgence. I think it is that sort of catcher in the ride, Dead Poet Society. It's like academia, disillusioned youths. There's a lot of like lust and darkness to it. And I think there's a lot more grief and yeah, a lot more grief in Goldfinch. I think it's a lot more harder and a bit heavier. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, like at all. I mean, is it the same style, the way she like writes it and structures it and stuff like that? Is it like that similar? I, ca I can't remember that stuff enough with the secret history, but I get the sense that Goldfinch was just moments were expanded a lot more. Secret history was a lot, there was more, more plot and it moved a lot quicker, I thought. Okay, maybe I should uh, check that out, to be honest. It's funny you mentioned Dead Poets Society. That has got to be like the pinnacle yeah, yeah. of that, like, like romanticization of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting you had that considering like how late you came to books, you still had that uh, like appreciation, I guess. <laughs> well, maybe that's where the romanticizing comes from is that it was this kind of maybe inaccessible thing that I was never quite good at or couldn't acquire. So I think it always did have that kind of levity to me. Yeah, did you feel that already? Like as in, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know many people who started reading quite avidly so late. So that's why I'm actually really interested. Like, did you did you feel that lack and somehow you, you'd done that or like did you learn to appreciate it afterwards? So that, what was that like? Yeah, yeah. I, will, I, can't, I can't remember how conscious of it I was, but I think I valued reading and it looked very good and important and cool and it looked like a whole world you could access. And I think books had a moodiness to them and an outsiderness to them. So I think those things were very uh, related to as a teenager. But I think I felt I, I wasn't very successful academically at school. So, and I think I associated with that. So I felt like I couldn't do it. So I couldn't read, couldn't do work at school, that sort of association. So it was only once I got a little bit of a push and realized I could do it and I sort of pushed myself that I then started to engage with it. Is that because the school 
Uh, oh, this is going to get anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Like, as in, uh, what I mean is those schools can be uh, like so hyper-competitive with the academics that if you don't excel in it, you can be just left feeling like a piece of shit, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That was my experience. Is that, is that yeah, that was the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, look, it's a very academically competitive environment and I think it benefits people if that's what they want to do, but it certainly didn't benefit me. And the irony is I actually ended up going to university and I, I found that I was quite good at it. So... Yeah, it just doesn't, that style doesn't suit a lot of people, I think. Yeah, it's weird because it like gets that result for some people. They thrive in that environment, but other people like not so much. So, I mean, did you, like, I guess for the majority, did they they thrive in that environment at least? Well, I think they thrived academically, but I'm not sure that it's helpful in other ways. But yeah, I think a lot of people succeeded academically at school. And I would say there were a few that didn't. So it was actually, the proportion was imbalanced. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I guess like what I mean there is like culturally was reading kind of supported for the sake of reading and being broad or was it like just purely focused on the academic aspect so you don't really get that like lead into enjoying reading? Yeah, you, look, you had the occasional teacher who was able to foster that stuff but it was kind of rare. Um, I think, and I imagine it's like this at a lot of private schools and ones that want to achieve like good things at VC and stuff like that. But you would get readings and you would get books, but it was wholly framed in how does this relate to the exams, to the marks and things like that. So it was always with that ends. It was always in that framework. And I mean, personally, for my relationship to, let's just say, literature, I would, that would be very limiting and it would be very undermining. Mm. Like, and, and I think a good example is, and I think a lot of people feel this, is if you think back to a text you had at school, so a big one was, I think it's called Hard Times. Is that the Charles Dickens book? Everyone, I think, just relates to that as just a very coarse academic book. Like it almost feels like a chore because it was just a school book. And yeah, I think that mars your relationship to it because it could be a very beautiful book. It could be a very insightful book, whatever. But I think when you run it through that prism, it kind of ruins it a bit. I do agree. that. But I just got told recently that they're starting to teach Hunger Games. <laughs> know what that means? In certain schools, right? <laughs> what do you think that means? Why are they teaching it? Well, see, at the se- first second, I was like, "What teaching it?" And then she's like, "Oh, it's for year no- eights and nines. And I'm like, "Actually, that's not a bad idea, yeah. <laughs> because you don't need to be studying Charles Dickens in year eight. Yeah. Instead, get kids to just mechanically realize that they can read a book and enjoy it. Like that's way better. Oh, so you think it's a way to entice them into books is to give them something that's a little bit like sugary and yeah. yeah. When you're you're easing people in, get them used to the idea of reading something, anything, and then engaging with it with other people. Even like you said yourself, you thought you couldn't do that, but it's probably because you were getting faced with this text, which were probably quite dense, as well as then having to treat it in the most dry possible way. It just didn't appeal to you at all. So instead, imagine it was like, oh, here's a fun book. (laughs) Read this and that. Chat about it. Can I ask you? Do you think there's philosophical merit in the Hunger Games? Do you think we'd learn things from the Hunger Games? I think there's an age where you should be engaging with philosophical ideas <laughs> and an age where you should be playful and like learning to grow and develop an understanding of stuff. Okay, so you don't think there's like any interesting essay questions that the Hunger Games evokes? You could have interesting essay questions out of Spot. Yeah, no, but Spot's a great book. What, are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> what does it mean to be what hungry? <laughs> I think you definitely could have philosophical questions out of it. Not that I've read it, but from the format of the story, definitely. What do you mean? It's about kids battling each other for a society that's got a dystopian sort of using that as to distract people from entertainment as a tool to distract the masses from institutional inequality. It's such a rich <laughs> topic if you want to go down that path. Yeah, yeah. But 
I would say it's more about getting people to, well, that's a plus two. If they can learn, oh, we can look at this text and engage. That's why I'm actually impressed in a weird way, but I guess because you studied it. That's okay. Now I'm trying to get my timings right. Because you're saying you started reading when 21. Yeah, But you roughly. did arts yeah. and you were doing literature and arts. Was that after that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I went to university like in my mid-late 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Like, so these ex-girlfriends of yours really changed your life. In a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> there was good, there was bad. <laughs> That's amazing. So you went from like finding an interesting idea but never actually engaging with it. Yeah. And then at 21, you started reading. 21, I'm, obviously, this is going to be loose boundaries. But then, and then you actually got so interested in it. You're like, I'm going to engage with this further. Probably, yeah. I, I definitely as a broader thing. That's kind of beautiful. Well, I'm, I'm glad for it. I, I definitely felt like before that age, I didn't think I'd be able to reach it or access that sort of stuff. I didn't think I was able to. So making it a part of my life and being able to do it was really nice. And, and it also showed me you can kind of change. You can learn new skills and you can change your life, which was nice. Yeah, definitely. So that's why I'm impressed. Like, I'm, I'm like, it's great. Like 21 is like, you would think... It's over. <laughs> that's why I'm impressed because at 21, you would think that you're pretty well established. Like if you don't yeah. like books at that point, you probably don't. Yeah. You're probably not going to pick it up. Although I have had a lot of friends who had difficulty just reading physically. So they found uh, joy in audio books. Okay. That's cool. Which again is something I definitely support audio books hugely for. So that's why you do it down that part. It's great. Yeah. It's not easy though. And I think the sort of the baggage that I hold from before that impacts the pleasure of reading. So I think reading requires a lot of a lot more discipline for me because I don't have that background of reading. So I'll get a lot of my head will get foggy, I'll get distracted, or I might get intimidated, and I have to like put my head down and I just have to read, and I got to make it work. And I can see maybe I don't absorb all the information. No one's got a photographic memory, though. maybe some people do, but yeah, no one. And you mean like you got to schedule times in almost if you don't, you could lose track of it and stuff. Perhaps, but I think I have to, if I'm not going to read that night, I'm going to force myself to read like two pages just to keep the ball rolling. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just That's great. That's a good habit forming. Yeah. I guess I'm lucky because uh, just for me, it's not a concern. <laughs> no, yeah. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's from growing up, massive nerd. This is funny. So I'm gonna, almost going to tie this together now. <laughs> the topic uh, conclusion. Because you're saying that you read The Secret History, 21. Yes. Which sounds about the time when you started appreciating reading. You had this romantic association with academia and the arts in a weird but distant way. And then this sort of made you engage with them more to the point that you then went to university in your mid-20s. Yeah, yeah. It sounds pretty formative in a weird way, or at least like, I'm not saying that it directly influenced you, but yeah, I can see why you would pick it as your favorite. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think the fact that someone gave me the book and that it wasn't selected and I didn't know what it was about, I think that's one element, but I think it just, yeah, it landed perfectly. I think that's what was going on. I think it spoke to everything that I was navigating and it was very formative. You should read it again. I don't want to. And honestly, this is the reason why I said to you before this, I actually haven't read it in a while. <laughs> because, okay, have you seen The Mighty Ducks? Yes. Yeah, okay, just just go with it. Okay. So you've seen The Mighty Ducks. When did you watch it? Uh, years and years ago now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you a like it? Time ago. Yeah, so it was good. Yeah. Uh, and you haven't watched it again recently. I don't, and I'm sorry for being hostile about this. <laughs> Firstly, obviously when I was younger, I watched it more than once. Yeah. Uh, but I have not watched it recently. Okay, yeah. and, and people might disagree with me, but I watched Mighty Ducks again recently and it was disgusting. It just, I did really? not... Really? Oh, I hated it. it Goldberg was, shooting the puck with the thing going... 
is that's in the first one? Yeah, no, and, and that stuff's amazing. But when you watch it as a child, you're immersed in it and it's just amazing and you're blown away by all like, you know, one of them achieves something or one of them like suffers from something or he wants the coach to like, you're just blown away by it. And I watched it as an adult and I just couldn't connect and I found it almost a bit childish and I just found that there were like these noises they would chip over and it would go boing. It was always a bit immature yeah. and it kind of ruined the Mighty Ducks for me. I, th- I think the only issue there is that you thought the Mighty Ducks was some great work of art when you I were did, a child. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I think that's the issue here. <laughs> the Godfather, the Mighty Ducks. Why do people get these? These are the same. <laughs> and so I actually am apprehensive to read the book again because the feeling that I got from it was so powerful. I'm nervous to read it again, not have that experience. As someone who read it in their 30s, yeah. it's very good. All right, I'll read it again and 30s. you watch The Mighty Ducks and then we'll, we'll chat. I watch it, man. Oh, but I'm expecting The Mighty Ducks to have goofy sounds, a bunch of kids, and it to be a cheesy story. Okay. I'm All expecting right. it to be not that, like, to be fine. But you know the one that I always think of people say this, and this is an example of, like, how much you can get brainwashed by stuff, apparently. But Hook. Yeah, no, great was, example. But the thing is, I, I still love Hook now. Okay. Terrible <laughs> example, terrible no, example. Even though it says it's a movie you watch when you're young and then you watch it when you're old, you're like, this is too long, it's yeah. dull, but maybe it's because I'm such a Robin Williams fanboy. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just like, man, this is still great. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, I love Dustin Hoffman, this is awesome. Was he Hook? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's what I mean. And then Robin Williams and Rufio, it's great. Very good. Okay. But anyways. That's completely gone off the top. No, no, I stand corrected. Maybe I'll try it again. Well, I'd say the issue there is that you had a different framing as a child looking at that thing as an adult. But with this case, this is actually an adult book. This is people that people engage with as adults. So like, I think you might be, because it sounds like you've, maybe I'm making assumptions here, but you're bringing a lot of insight to what you're describing, all the books you've read and how you are looking at the deeper underlying meanings of it and stuff. I'm guessing you learned that, you developed that in university. Perhaps, yeah. Maybe a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that means that you will actually be going back to it with a whole new set of skills you were only beginning to sharpen when you first read it. I think that's a very good point. Okay, I know it's not a childish film, but do you feel like there are books that you read in adolescence that perhaps when you were a teen, like there are stages in your growth where you're different. So I think I'm very different to how I was during adolescence, at least in what I looked up to or at least the stories I was attracted to. Do you feel like maybe you have that? I definitely think, but like I don't, I don't know if I've gone back to a book and been like super disappointed, like had right. such a such a big shift. Like as in sometimes you can be like, oh, maybe it's not quite as good yeah. as I thought at the time. But uh, like I said, I think the issue with you is just you framed it in a completely different way as a child than you realized at the time. <laughs> I thought it was a colorful metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think I'm definitely, I'm open to reading it again. It's something yeah. I consider. Any book that you love, you should read at least more than once. Always, that's the rule. Yeah. Any book that's worth reading once is worth reading twice. <laughs> Is the rule. Uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I think we've kind of jumped around a bit, but uh, look, we've got to finish it sometime. But you, we haven't gone to your comedy at all. And like, we don't have the time now, but you can give a shout out because you are doing a show for the Comedy Festival. Um, I'm doing, it's called The Rising Stars of Comedy. And I'm doing it with two other comedians, Sam Gablasaresi and Chelsea Evans. And we're doing six shows. It's on Thursdays at eight and Saturdays at six. And it's at the Heroes Karaoke Bar. And that's it. That's my show. <laughs> I actually think it'll be quite good. So, yeah. <laughs> it'll be quite good. Yeah. <laughs> what a pitch. But because, yeah. No, you're funny. So, Thank you. Yeah. You're, you're funny, funny too. Oh, stop it. Yeah. Yeah, that felt so forced. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it though. <laughs> 
big ball of feelings, Ellie. I love it. Thank you. Okay, that's it. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Anyone can follow you anywhere on anything? I've got an Instagram. It's ellie.landis.comedy and I draw little cartoons. Okay, perfect. I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Nice. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.